0: Welcome to the Circuit of Success Podcast. The Circuit of Success Podcast with your host Brett 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 Gilliland, Brett Gilliland Visionary Wealth Advisor. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host Brett Gilliland, and today I've got Bill DeWitt the Third with me. Bill, how you doing? I'm great. Good to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming over. I got to give a shout out to Timmy Hanser. Uh, Tim is in our firm, Visionary Wealth Advisors, and you guys go way back, right?
1: We go all the way back. All yeah, the way yeah. back. Our dads were in uh, high school together here at MICDS, yeah. and then they went to college together, and uh, we used to do family trips with them. And then, of course, um, you know, his family's part of the Cardinals yeah. as well. So yeah, it, it goes way
0: back. That's awesome. Well, yeah. great, great guy. We're lucky to have him. And uh, so you are a Yale graduate and a Harvard graduate. That's pretty impressive. Uh, a scratch golfer, maybe. Plus or minus. Plus or minus. <laughs> uh, president of St. Louis uh, Cardinals, of course. And uh, also on the St. Louis Sports Commission Board, which we share a mutual uh, board there. I did not go to the Christmas party last night. Did you go? I did not. I did no, not. I, I was did. unable to make it. So, well, we'll dive into a lot of great stuff today, Bill. But before we get started, um, could you kind of just give us a backstory? What's made you the man you are today? I know that's a big question, but there's usually something in there that I like to draw out of people. And would love, love to hear your, your message. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it um, starts with family. You
1: know, uh, born and raised in, in Cincinnati um my parents are both from St. Louis they um they were raised here um but in the um my dad's father my grandfather was in baseball his whole life yeah and he bounced around so he was with the Browns the Cardinals um the Yankees the Tigers and then in in various roles but mainly as general manager and part owners of some of those but he also, his big move was to move to Cincinnati in the early 60s and he bought the Reds. So okay. he was the sole owner and general manager. Wow. Um, and so my family moved there and then he sold it late 60s. But my dad, my parents stayed in Cincinnati and raised us there. So when my dad got involved in the Cardinals and led the group that bought it from Anheuser-Busch back in 1996, uh, it was sort of a homecoming for them. Yeah. But it was a new city for me. Right. So you were how old at that time? um, I was just out of business school a year, um, and uh, late twenties, and um, so that's kind of how I ended up here. But as far as like what made me who I am, that is a big question to start with. Um,
0: (laughs) Coming out strong. Yeah,
1: I mean, I just would say it's it's where I'm family oriented, um, love being part of the St. Louis community, and I think. you know, for me, this has been such a great platform to just kind of do what I do, um, which is I like to do a lot of different things, you know, so my role with the Cardinals keeps me very busy and mostly on the business side of things, but obviously mm-hmm. occasionally on, on the baseball side, mostly on the strategic level. Um, but even with that busy job, I feel like, um, and I've always felt that, you know, to be mentally healthy, I have to also be doing sports and um, you know, doing events or things with my kids or my wife or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I have an artistic side and at which I pursue. Um, and so it's really about like, I think having my toe in a lot of different waters. It's yeah. sort of what, what I would say uh, um, describes my approach to life.
0: So I know there's no typical day using air quotes there, but so what what is a typical day like for Bill DeWitt?
1: well I mean any given day I'll have two or three meetings at least um, so that's sort of you bounce around those uh, either with staff or with particularly this time of year which is our budget season mm-hmm. where we're planning for next year and uh, wrapping up um, sort of the uh, the employee appraisal process where you're thinking it's talking about fun. employees <laughs> and always fun yeah <laughs> you know um, but we have a great organization and that's um you know not too too hard but um, and so meetings about various topics, how we're planning for next year, whether it might be like a like we're building a new club in this in the stadium. So meeting with the uh, construction people on that today. Nice. Uh, meeting with um, some of my uh, uh, direct reports about you know how we want to handle um, you know budgeting, capital expenditures, and other areas. Um, but you know it depends on the time of year. Uh, in terms of what my day-to-day is so for example um, right now it's a lot of that stuff planning Uh, but as you get towards the spring um, you know I'll spend some time down in Jupiter um, with some spring training related activities Um, and then you get through that period and then you're back to opening day and you're planning for the whole show right it's and so um, and that's more of a focus on the operational aspect of the business and how we're putting on the show in terms of the logistics of the game, the ticketing, the game day entertainment. Um, we might be doing um, some things relative to leasing at ballpark Village meetings with that, um, regular meetings on um, design and planning for maybe a second phase of ballpark Village. Uh, we um, you know we talk about a lot of we're doing a big redo at, of the Jupiter facility. so yeah. there's a lot of meetings r- around that. So, you know, there's just a lot of different topics. Oh, another big topic right now, I'm meeting a lot with people about is um, our regional and local cable situation, local TV media is a big sort of disrupted area of our business. Um, So really trying to understand that, trying to understand really um, what our uh, market really looks like from a TV standpoint, how it's evolved, how it's changed over time. And in where we want to go if in fact we end up having to sort of um, handle our TV rights if they come back to us you know because um, right now Bally Sports Midwest who pays us a rights fee to broadcast our games is in bankruptcy so yeah. or their parent company's bankruptcy, so uh, that may be something that we have to to dive into and so we're, we're doing a lot of planning around
0: that is that long. a good thing or I mean, obviously not a good thing about Bally's but to take it back versus I read an article last night maybe Amazon investing money I mean, is that, what do you, Yeah, do you look at that? Um, I kind of view it as
1: a mixed bag of pluses and minuses. I think from the purely fan standpoint, it's actually a plus. And here's what I mean. Over the last decade and really exacerbating in the last several years, as you know, um, well, I'll, I'll take the big picture and then dial down. Uh, you know, call it eight years ago, nine years ago, ten years ago, there were about 120 million households that were subscribing to the bundle, the cable TV bundle. Okay, that was how everybody got their content. That number is now down to about 60 million. So everybody's cut the cord, right? And now everybody streams their, you know, ESPN or Disney or Netflix or Amazon Prime, whatever it may be. And they've a lot of people have cut the cord on the bundle. Well, that hasn't been good for sports teams or particularly the RSNs that are paying sports teams their rights fees because, um, you know, the bundle payments every month that people yeah. were paying, you know, a, a chunk of, or a little piece of that. So let's say you paid $120 for your bundle, usually around four to $5 of that was going to charter or to AT&T U-verse, or or comcast or whoever and then going straight to the regional sports network so every month everybody on the bundle was paying that annual fee and it was working its way into the sports ecosystem uh the rsn the regional sports network would then pay the teams a rights fee and they were the middleman they would broadcast our games they'd pay us a big big annual fee every year and collect those monthly revenue streams, which is good well, for cash flow for them. It was great for us yeah. for, for sports teams, and when I say sports teams, is really are all major leagues. You know, yeah. football, baseball, basketball, hockey, um, and that has kind of gotten really disrupted. And when I, what's happened is, is as people have cut the cord, these legacy deals that we've had with the RSNs require that we stay on the bundle and don't actually distribute our games through any other platform because they wanted exclusivity, which drove people to the bundle. Well, now that people are cutting the cord and now they, and, and they're not on the bundle, well, now they don't have access to the bundle to the extent that we're still in these long-term deals. So if it breaks apart and we get our rights back, we're actually going to create a broader distribution platform for our fans. So if yeah. you were on, like, for example, um, uh, like Dish – Um, and you got Cardinal games. Well, they've dropped the regional sports networks because of all the cord cutting. They couldn't afford it. And now if you're still on there, you don't get Cardinal games, for example, or Blues games. And so you're essentially blacked out. You're not getting the games. Or if you've just cut the cord and don't have the bundle, there's no direct-to-consumer product. There's no app on which to get the Cardinals and Blues games if this all falls apart, we get our rights back, we would create one of those apps. So every cardinal app, I can log
0: into that, watching my big TV or my phone or whatever. Exactly, yeah,
1: you would finally have access if you're not on one of those bundles that still have us, like Charter. So from a a long-winded answer to your question that I think it would be good for consumers and for Mm -hmm. our fans who will now have a way to access our product if they've been cut off. For the teams, it's like a step back before we get to step forward. So there will be, and we're already seeing it. It hasn't quite hit us yet, but we're planning on it. um, Teams are going to get less than they were promised. Hmm. Because if, you know, in the old system, they were getting this guaranteed rights fee growing every year. The middleman was, you know, this this RSN parent company, Diamond Sports. They were using their leverage of having all these teams to get distribution everywhere. And it was a big business. Um, they've fallen on hard times, they're in bankruptcy. And now those rights will come back to teams. Um, they already have, for example, in several of the baseball teams last year. And now the teams have to go out and get their uh, rights fees themselves. It's sort of eat what you kill. And because of the way it was all packaged before, they were getting more and they'll have to, in, in most cases, take a significant step backwards. But I think that There's a path, perhaps, over time to get back to where we were and then grow up beyond that with, again, a better model for consumers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks for sharing that. It's it's a lot there. because I mean, that's a talk around us, you know, folks. I, I still have it. I have the bundled package so I can get the Cardinal game. And half the reason I do that is for the Cardinal game. Right. And That's so right. it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's but interesting behaviors are changing so much. I mean, oh, all yeah. these guys that are in our it, studio it, here,
1: <laughs> they're probably looking at their screens right. and uh, getting their content, you know, from the, yeah. the device in their pocket yeah. as opposed to, so there's there's a lot of change and disruption. And we gotta understand what those patterns are and, and um, do right by our fans and really get give them better access.
0: Yeah. So I mean, how do you think about it? Speaking of these guys over here, so you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I remember the days of, you know, I didn't have a phone as competition to watch and watching all the social media stuff, but I was the, the goofy guy that was doing the scorebook, right? And doing that stuff, mm-hmm. watching Cardinal Games and, and all that. I don't I don't see it as much with kids and I've got four boys. I don't see it as much with kids sitting down watching a whole game. So, how are you planning for that to make sure your product stays relevant for that generation? Yeah, I think
1: it's a it's a big topic, but just I'll I'll be sort of brief in my answer. The baseball is trying to evolve to that newer pattern. Um, the biggest change I think, which was well received, was the pitch clock yeah. last year. Uh, it increased the pace of games. We took you know twenty six minutes off the average game. Wow. That was a huge move a for deal. for an industry that has hasn't you know innovated very much over the last century um so that was well received i think the pace of the game is a lot better and i think baseball is really in some respects and i think they should apologize for this it's different it's different than hockey which i love it's different than um football and basketball in the sense that it's it's a summer sport there are more games than these other sports it's really a conversation it's a soundtrack of the summer and when you go to a game with your your kids you know it's about passing along tradition and enjoying a nice lazy day. Of course there's tension and excitement in a game as it builds, but I think that in some ways it's a relief and a break from the frenetic move from one little dopamine hit to the next every day and every um, content thing that people are absorbing. And so I I think we need to position ourselves as the anti-phones. Now, yes, we I have to be that. available on every device and people need to be able to see it. But the reality is um, your kids aren't going to watch three plus hours of baseball on their device. It just yeah, doesn't. No. You know, they might. And, and in the, so in the old days, you would, you know, have a cookout and it would be on the radio in the background. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's how you absorbed it. That's how you enjoyed the soundtrack. Um, now everything's a little quicker, not quite as slow, but. I think baseball can be that way to pause and um, be almost like this generational story that we keep um, repeating. And um, I think if we position it that way while making changes to the game to give it a better pace, a better cadence, a better uh, version of itself, more balls in play, more lead changes, more hits, um, less strikeouts, I, I think those two things sell what it is against the way the other sports are but also move towards a little quicker pace. Those two things I think will keep us relevant.
0: Like it. Um, I'm bouncing around between baseball and just normal life. For you outside of baseball, uh, obviously you've, you've had a, a great journey and, and, and met a lot of amazing people I'm sure along that journey. Can, can you share some of those, some of the things that you people have stuck out for you that you've learned stuff from them that's really helped mold who you are today? Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I would say in the and the passions
1: that I have business-wise I got to throw my dad in there um, just a great mentor yeah. you know He kind of to me is the model of somebody who can be successful and effective while also being a nice guy yeah. and being very compassionate and um, um, somebody who cares about people in the organization um, And, you know, that's a great model because, you know, a dictator can also be very effective. And I've seen it, you know, in business and we all see it in politics sometimes, too. But um, I'd rather be successful and get to the same place while uh, pulling everybody along. And um, that's been my my business mentor. Um, I would put Mark Lamping in there, too. He had my job before I did and ran the Cardinals in a little different way. But I took over from him and he was... um, uh, kind of showed me the ropes in terms of how to uh, oversee the business side of things. He's with the uh,
0: Panthers now.
1: Uh, he's now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. 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 Yeah, he, yeah. But he's uh, after the Cardinals. He went and uh, helped the the Jets and Giants finish out that big stadium. Okay. You know, yeah. and then and then did the Jaguars, where he is now. Um, I would say from a uh, a creative standpoint, I had this teacher in high school. His name was Mark Potter, and he was a great artist and in his own right Uh, and he was one of these guys who um, you know how like when you're a kid in art class the teacher will like sort of not touch your painting and be like oh well maybe you should consider this or look up this artist and get an example of what you might want to where you want to go with this this guy would be like he was the opposite of that he would come into your into your uh space and be like get out of here get, give me this and he would start painting and working on it and he would take it from it was like a two he would take it to like a seven and he'd be like now nah, you take it from seven to ten and it would just be like the funniest thing you would watch <laughs> and people were like bummed and like this thing's a piece of crap and he'd be like yeah it is let me fix it <laughs> and just like he made it so fun and it was like um it was an inspiration for me because um he also had other talents but he just had this impulse to be creative and he couldn't help himself and it was contagious and so that's kind of stuck with me Um, Uh,
0: not to interrupt i think made me think of leadership sometimes you know you have a a young man or woman working and and you got to pull them with you you can see in them what they may not see in themselves yet so i don't know why my mind went there but maybe did that also help you see see bigger than what you could see before right yeah for sure i mean um Well, it's inspiring when you're
1: you're stuck on a problem and somebody just, you know, they can fix it and they do that. And you're just kind of like, wow. Um, And then uh, so that that was sort of a mentor on the creative side. Um, I mean, on the athletic side, I would say, you know, various coaches along the way have have meant a lot to me. Um, And, you know, people that just have that passion for sports that rubs off and again that's what carries you sometimes because you know sports can be frustrating business can be frustrating but when you meet somebody along your journey who is like embraces that embraces the the struggle and works figures out a way to get through it yeah um, those are kind of the mentors that stick with you and keep you going and keep you you know motivated to keep doing what you're doing
0: who is that person if there is any that was maybe gave you tough love you didn't like it in the moment. Uh, but you look back, and you're like, huh, that guy had my back.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think back to high school when, um, uh, you know, I was, I guess, early in freshman or something year, I was just not writing well. It was like a struggle for me. And uh, I had a teacher that was just crushing me on the grades. But it would be like, I'd get the paper back and it was just marked up. There'd be paragraphs of how you should have moved it over to this topic or moved it on. And then kind of by the end of it, it really similar to that, that artistic example I gave. Um, and I grinded through it um, and just the guy worked with me on it. And it, you know, if a teacher like invests that time in you, it's so motivating because yeah. you want to let the person down, right? And by the end of sophomore year, I was in honors English, and that was like truly attributable to that one teacher who basically saw something in me and, you know, just was like, no, you're going to get better at this, you know, and and brought me along.
0: Yeah, when the teacher what's what's the old saying? The, The teacher appears when the student is ready. Maybe yeah. you were ready. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I was. So, um, how do you stay a student? Speaking of being a student, how do you stay a student in the game now with your role today with the Cardinals and all the other stuff you've got going in your world? Because um, you didn't, you know, you didn't go to construction school and you didn't do this, you didn't do that, but you got to put a lot of pieces of the puzzle together. So, how are you staying a student in the game?
1: Yeah, I would say um, probably from a baseball oversight standpoint, it's pretty easy because. You know, it's something that people just gravitate to as as an interest, and so like, you know, you have highlights, you have your um, ESPN, w- yeah, whatever it may be, right. where you get your sports information. I get it just like you guys do. Yep. Um, there might be some additional um, information. Well, there's a mountain of information internally to right. the Cardinals about people, but at the end of the day, it's just fine tuning. I mean, we all know that Otani's the best player, right? Mm-hmm it's but but is how much better is he than the next best guy right. on a very and then how do you translate that that ability and that talent into sort of a, a a money dollars and cents equation that becomes critical for how we determine you know what to pay a player or how to manage the the roster and the yeah. payroll with limited resources so um i would say that i'm just like any fan i get my information from the same sources. I watch games, I have fun watching them. I'm a fan when they're happening. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes down to making decisions, you kind of just, um, you work all that additional information to fine tune the decision making, understanding the system of how MLB works and and then how an individual team works as well. And that's really what I think is interesting to people when I have conversations with them is like, there's that another level of understanding how decision-making occurs um, and it's hard to like and that's why these are fun long-form formats which I enjoy because when you just read an article of let's say a sports writer bashing us for being cheap or this or that it's just such a lazy way of um, of criticizing like we deserve criticism but what but when when the writer in in many situations but when a writer just takes the easy way out and just says, you're cheap, you stink, right. that's it. Right. it. You just, it's so blatantly obvious that they just haven't done their homework. They don't understand our, the decisions we're facing, the budget limitations yep. and where um, where the real challenges are in in constructing rosters. And so when when you do kind of open up the hood a little bit with people and bring them in and show them like, you know not the proprietary player data for example but just the the way in which you have to think long term versus short term because we're in it for the long term uh, but you also want to win you know this year Um, that's when you really get I think interesting feedback from people and the good thing about Cardinals fans is they're very informed so for the most part yes there's internet trolls and you know lazy armchair quarterbacking but i think the majority of fans like kind of get it yeah that that we are in a economic system we only have so many resources we're doing our best to win next year but also set ourselves up for future years and that that those those sort of decisions require trade-offs yeah and and when they understand those trade-offs typically their criticism when well-informed is well taken
0: Yep. so you you mentioned his name so i'm going to bring it up but otani so you think of that contract and what two million a year for 10 years and then 68 million from 11 through 20 so i look at it as the armchair quarterback is if i that's great and, and again i don't understand how it all works in baseball but if he's only going to get paid two million i look at it and say oh okay that's going to help me from the dodgers sign more players for the next 10 years i don't know if that's right or wrong but now if i'm the dodgers Fan eleven years from now, and I saw it was sixty-eight million, or was basically eighty-five million dollars, as their payroll in eleven years from now with Freddie Freeman, um, Mookie Betts, and Otani. So I already know as a fan, if I was a, if I was a Dodgers fan, eighty-five million dollars in eleven years. So so how do you look at that? What you can or want to share as a as a business guy? I look at that and scratch my head and like I don't like that deal. Yeah. Um, what, what can you share about that? The
1: way I think about that deal, and I don't know if this is how the Dodgers are thinking about it because I'm not in their head, but if the way I look at it is it's actually not deferring it. Whatever their obligations are from year 11 and beyond will already have been thought through and dealt with in my view. What I would do if I were them is I would put whatever the present value number of that obligation is aside this year. So like if, if he's getting, you know, 70 million or 68 million in year 11, what does that mean for this year? If you bring it back, it probably means something like 45 million. I mean, just doing raw numbers. And, um, so I would put cash in the bank at 45 million so that it generates the interest or return, depending on how they Mm -hmm. process their, um, their um asset accounts and manage their money which by the way guggenheim that's what they do yeah so that i suspect that there's probably something along those lines in there uh and that'll grow to pay the 69 or 68 number in that 11th year yeah. and do the same thing in year two and year three so that by the end of that 10th year you really don't have a liability okay. or an obligation that's how i would yeah. view it or treat it myself now if they've got some Magic trick up their sleeve about you know
0: some giant payday that they have coming in eleven years. I mean, who knows? Yeah, right. Right, right. That's why I was like, maybe there's a TV deal three billion dollars that I don't know about. They're like, yeah, we'll carve off six hundred eighty million and kick it to the side. So if you
1: kind of look at look at it from a present value standpoint, it's it's really like a I don't know four hundred and fifty million dollar type of contract if they take those steps to play with the time value of money.
0: And the high interest rates don't hurt right now for it. Right. If and I think that do. was part of it. Yeah.
1: I'm sure that was the the, angel, the agent probably wanted that seven handle in front of the number. And how are we going to get there? That's too much. We can't afford that, but we can afford whatever right. for something. Okay. Well, you can get your seven handle and I can get my actual 400 yeah. something. <laughs> right if we play this uh, game getting paid. <laughs> right. yeah, you know, right. and he gets yeah. the
0: headline and we get the player. Yeah. And I think too, one of these smart young men over here said something about, they heard that, uh, and this is all hearsay, who knows, but do you think of it this way? Is it Otani now gets $2 million a year and with California tax that 11th year, he can move to wherever Florida and not pay taxes as much. Right. There could
1: be a, a tax play for him, um, which um, again, is one of those things that can help bridge a gap, right? If if the tax play for the player makes the deal more valuable to him, okay, great. Yep. you know That's one element that you factor in to try to reach agreement on a deal between the bid and the ask. Yep.
0: So now switching back to kind of the business and baseball, since that's your world, um, but your philosophy when you look at talent. So a lot of business leaders listen to this podcast. So when they're listening to it right now, What's your philosophy when hiring and looking for talent? And I'm not talking like a baseball player. I mean, meaning like you know, executive on the business, side, the yeah. business
1: side. Well, we're we're going through that right now with the um, uh, you know one of our VP positions, and I, I would say that, um, you know, for us, it, it depends on the on the role, right? But you you want somebody who's an expert in the field. You want somebody who is. Um, hopefully passionate about the cardinals and baseball because mm-hmm. i think that's just like a really base element of what makes our organization uh you know exciting to work for is everybody's pulling in the same direction they're yeah. all cardinal fans they we all celebrate when the when the team does well and so having that element i think is important um i think that it doesn't necessarily always need to be perfectly relevant baseball experience obviously depending on the position like for example if we're need a new CFO for example um, there will be probably 90% of what that person needs to bring to the table would be um, you know the education and the experience and the knowledge of, of what any CFO job would require and then 10% would be probably really specific to the baseball okay. industry and that's what you know might lead to down the path of seeing if somebody already has, you know, that, that experience in, in the game or in another sport or something like that. Um, those are just a couple examples, but you know, um, I think somebody that shares your philosophy, um, or is complementary to your philosophy. So for example, uh, stick with that CFO example, uh, Brad Wood's done this. He's our CFO now, has done it for many, many years. He was back in the AB days as well. Um, We tend to enjoy sort of a little bit of a good cop, bad cop routine with our employees, (laughs) you know. Um, And that's, so that's an example of where slightly different styles, I think, help and can work when you're working with employees and budgeting and doing all that stuff. Now, when you're talking about, let's say, a different aspect of the business, like um, uh, let's say game day entertainment, you know, running the show, putting on um 81 days a year and and concerts and things like that um now that's somebody who you're going to want to have that enthusiasm that excitement that comes to work every day and has a passion for seeing a smile on a fan's face who has a good knowledge of history and of and might have a good sense of humor so i think it's really i think it's 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 role dependent in terms of those things i would look for in in a in an important hire, um, but the baseline I guess requirement for me is that they buy into the excitement and cardinal fan and rowing in that same direction, and two that they're going to thrive in sort of a family environment situation where expectations are high, yep. but it's not going to be like you know Machiavellian in the culture.
0: I, speaking of concerts, I went to the Luke Combs and the Morgan Wallen concert this year at Bush. They were phenomenal. I'm always I'm always like, is that a, that's a ton of work?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Those are those are big deals for us because.
0: Well, Billy Finley over here, I'm sure he loves that. He's yeah. <laughs> we, we need to um, get
1: him off suicide watch when, exactly. when we uh, add new concerts to the mix. But no, he does well and he's he gets it right. I mean, a concert will, um, you know, risk, you know, making the field look a little shoddy after yeah. the fact, um, which you know, dings his, uh, pride a little bit, but he totally gets it. So we appreciate his, his patience when we do those. Um, but you're right when, you know, 81 days a year, we pretty much kind of have our pattern down and our routine and our it's not, not that isn't a ton of work, but when you do a concert, it's a, it's really kind of different, you know, you've different, different graphics, a whole new, sometimes usher crew. You have, um, the, the whole load in and, you know, um, technology and production um crew that sort of takes over the place yeah and that and that creates the need for a ton of collaboration between our special events group who puts on these concerts for us and manages the talent and the and the relationship with the um uh with the company that's putting on the concert and the and the the uh, talents crew um and and our stadium operations team who are you know, there to help with, you know, all the logistics, all the, um, uh, operational challenges that, that, something like that entails. I like it. They rent
0: that from you or is it a revenue share?
1: Uh, you can have different economic arrangements. Um, we've taken some, you can take more risk or less risk. Um, you mean the Cardinals or if you're the, the Cardinals. Yeah. yeah. Um, the act itself usually gets a guarantee okay. and then the, the live nation or the, uh, the the group that's promoting and and running the overall tour uh, um, that group will look to the team and the venue um, to either get a guaranteed rent which is one number or maybe the team wants to take a little bit of risk in the hopes of getting a bigger number thereby reducing the risk of the uh, Uh, the promoter
0: risk reward yeah uh daily habits for bill dewitt the third if i were to follow you around or jeff over here was to follow you around that camera what's he going to see day in day out that uh, is no mess habits for you
1: yeah the the thing that i've been doing for about six years now is a morning stretch routine uh that takes about only 15 20 minutes Mm -hmm. um it's really helped me um and what what it is i just i don't it's something i I commit to, you yeah. know, I just, I got to do it. Right. So I build in that 10 whether minutes. you want to so or not, if I'm in a rush. I'll make it 10. If it's, cool. you know, lazy a little bit, I'll make it 20. But, yeah. and I feel like it just gets me moving, gets my body moving. It's more of um, an activation thing to get out of bed. And then um, more recently, and, and I do, I still play hockey. I still play men's hockey. So um, I love that. Um, I hope I can keep going. Uh, usually about twice a week with the Blues alumni. And uh, that's just like something I commit to. It's an early skate, so I'm back in the office by 9.30. And um, just love it. Uh, I've always been a hockey player. And then... checking in these games? uh, No checking, thank (laughs) God. I still wouldn't be doing it if (laughs) were the case. Occasionally you'll have some incidental, you know, this or that. But... um, And then I guess in the last few years I've added um sort of a, a a lifting small cardio type of 30 45 minutes yeah. about three days a week cool. so i found that that helps me keep up this lifestyle and routine that i have with yeah. other um, afflictions like golf and hockey
0: you tried uh, Have you seen the golf forever training device I haven't, no. Have to check it out, golfforever.com. I'm not uh, getting paid to say that, but I I, feel, I like it, you know, because okay, I'm yeah. aging. It's one of those things, get a resistant band and some golf, uh, the golf grips and just different exercises you do to stay stay fit, but stay, you know, strong core for the golf yeah, game. Yeah, i have so, to check that out. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say two words. I'm anxious to see what comes to mind for you. Uh, game seven. Hmm. <laughs> Game seven. I thought you would have said game six. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Gosh dang it! I even wrote down in my my wrong in my notes. Game you are game you six? are right. That's right? game okay. six. That's right.
1: Um, there's I have a game six and a game seven. How's okay. that? So game six was uh, that crazy game in 2011, and my story on that is very personal because it has to do with my son Will, and of course, you know you're just a ball of tension on the morning of a world series game when you're yeah. in the management side of things and, you know, just, you want it to go well, you know, and there's all these logistics and MLB comes in and they their whole teams here because it's kind of their, uh, their asset is the postseason, And, um, but then your, your group has to put it on. Yeah. So it's like this collaborative thing and there's a lot of work and you're, you're doing it sort of overtime stuff but you're also just like when the game finally starts you're just like please win you know (laughs) please well game six was um i was up in the suite i was moving around a lot but i ended up in the suite in the second half of the game my son was there he was like um he was like nine or ten at the time and we had the hall of famers there and a bunch of people in and out of the suite and lou brock Uh, was staying kind of throughout the rest of the game and for some reason like we had a big moment middle of the game and Lou and my son like did a big high five and that was cute and I was like oh that's a cool memory and then you know the game started to flip back and forth and you know the Rangers hit that home run and we're just like oh so deflated and then um my son started crying especially after the mm-hmm. extra inning home run oh, yeah. by josh, josh hamilton. hamilton yeah because that was it like yeah. it was over oh. after that we fought we battled back and forth we staved off elimination and then it was like okay now we're, we're yeah. done and so will starts crying and lou goes will come on they, they, they've come back before they're going to do it again and you could tell Lou didn't mean it. <laughs> it's like, come on, it was kid. just like this little kid right. crying. Like you got to lift his spirits, yeah. and, and Will was like, "Okay, thanks." Well, lo and behold, we did come back again—the freeze triple, yeah. and then the freeze Homer—and the actual pure celebration of both of those two—you know, the ten-year-old boy, and the you know, whatever he was, seventy-five-year-old yeah. Hall of Famer were equally as as excited oh. in that moment. And that like just for me was symbolized what it meant for everybody in Cardinals yeah. Nation from a, a little kid to a Hall of Famer who had had those moments right. himself. I mean he batted like 350 in the World Series, but yeah. yet he was a kid in that moment. And so then game 7 comes around and I've never been so nervous watching something in my life because what happened the night before was so dramatic, was so outlandish, and was so great for our fans. But you lose that game and it kind of becomes a footnote in right. history. Yeah. Like you gotta win game yep. seven. You're right. And it, for the first time in um, my tenure as being part of the organization, there were like two or three mo- moments where I literally couldn't watch. I got up and I just started walking around the concourse. Yeah. And because I could, I was just so nervous, I just couldn't handle it. (laughs) I can't do this. Yeah, I I just, I couldn't do it. And um, anyway, that was short lived, and we ended up winning that game, and it was um, pretty surreal. It was kind of dreamlike when, when you're about to win a game seven, and you're you want to celebrate and get super excited, but then all of a sudden this, this weight of like, oh shit, I gotta be like on my game like yeah. I, I like there's this whole script that needs to play out and I need to be a part of that yeah like where my where's my family gonna go are they gonna do I need to go tell the security guy to let them on the field right or I gotta I'm gonna do the celebration but then we've got all these owner partners who might want to be part of it and I gotta like just you know yeah there's a yeah. uh there's an the on-field yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, on thing where the yep. commissioners up there handing yeah. the trophy. Who's going to be on the stage? I got to get my dad. Which, where he was in downstairs. I was upstairs. Like Mo, where is he? He was in the press. Right. It was like all of a sudden, like I was able to enjoy it for about five minutes, and then I just sort of had to get my game face yeah, on and him. pause the celebration, and then like finally, I think we did all that on-field stuff and and photos and all this crazy stuff. And then I was able to like, when all the media died down and the champagne and all that, um, I was I was finally like did this big exhale, had a beer, and I was just like, oh my god, this is great! It's The greatest, yeah, beer, it ever. Is the greatest <laughs> beer ever! Yeah, the greatest beer ever! Yeah,
0: yeah, this is the greatest yeah. beer! Yeah, because you think I mean it's not like a direct route from the suite down to the you know the dugout and all that stuff, right? So you got to get through the people for a little bit, or maybe get the elevator, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, it just um, it it was a logistical thing and your head just spinning on who's who Who do you have to coordinate what, what's up and yeah um but that's um uh
0: those are great problems to have great problems we want more of those problems the, uh, sure. the nice thing is so my wife and i were married october 27 2001 you guys won it in 2006 on our five-year anniversary and on october 27th and then game six was october and it was supposed to be game seven Right. But there was yeah. a rain out, right. Yeah. And it pushed yeah. everything back. Pushed so game six was, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Get a little pitching for game seven. Right. <laughs> uh, so October 26th games, uh, game six, we were there for that with my dad and her dad. And then we're back the next night. So that was a long couple of days. It was, uh, it was. you know,
1: these long playoff runs in October. I'm really hoping to have one again soon. Yeah. Uh, they, they're, they can be a beat up on fans too. Oh yeah. Because you know, it's, it's tough it's, on the liver. It, well, it can be <laughs> that too. Um, and so that's that's why they don't happen every year, I <laughs> exactly. guess. But uh, when they do, you it's yeah. it's so worth it.
0: When when you look back at uh, of all the memories of the St. Louis Cardinals, what what's some of your biggest memories? I mean, obviously what you just shared, mm-hmm. uh, but any other memories that you'd want to share that you think are uh, important to you or important to your family? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that the the '06
1: win was so um, unexpected as well. Yeah, we had been. Um, knocking on the door for a long period of time we incredible teams like the 2004 team was so special on 105 games i think and you know got swept in boston which was very disappointing and to have such a great season end on such a down note was like god are we ever going to break through you know we had had the best team yeah and um what happened in 06 and then oh um o five was was a good year but then oh six happens and we're not was that the eighty three really,
0: win like, season was yeah, that, yeah 83, 83 only wins. had 83 yeah. wins yeah
1: but what happened is we had all these injuries and and then but what what happened is in our, is in September you realized like when these guys came back from injury we've got this o four team on the field right now yeah, and they're fresh Edmonds was back healthy pool holes rolling I mean and they were fresh and they um Carpenter was back healthy, you know. Wayno um, was closing out games as a rookie, or maybe had had a cup of coffee the year before, yeah. or whatever. But Izzy was hurt, so that was like a a, a problem. But here comes Wayno. Yeah. Who is this guy? Yeah. So that was like not just great because they defied expectations and, and <clears throat> ran the table in October but i feel like it was the culmination of having knocked on the door many many times before that with even better teams that didn't quite get it done in october yeah. and so it felt almost like a relief to see my dad finally hold that trophy after
0: uh, really a lifetime of aspiring to that yeah. that was what was most special to incredible. me yeah that was that how were really you great. and your dad feeling in new york when it's game 7 and it's uh, Cardinal killer, Carlos Beltran's up to bat with two uh, men on. I was about to puke. <laughs> Honestly, I really couldn't. And but, there was no looking was away. You, you were right there
1: and I was right there. And it was just like, I, like, I just, if I wanted anybody. to crawl into a hole. Like I was just like, God, no, please. Yeah. You know, just something good
0: Yeah. And, then, uh, then and Uncle it, Charlie was born. Oh man. That was, that was a moment. That was incredible. Uh, let's talk about gambling. That's always a fun topic, isn't it? So, uh, state of Missouri does mm-hmm. not have gambling. H- how does that play into, um, for the St. Louis Cardinals, your guys' thoughts on that? It's obviously getting big, whether we like it or don't like it. Mm-hmm. It's getting big in, in the world we live in today. So, how is that going to play out? If Let's assume uh, Missouri gets it. Yeah. How is that going to play out for you guys? Well, uh, we've
1: been very active in trying to, to to get it legalized. And the reason is well I'll give you two reasons one with my cardinal hat on and one with my Missouri citizen hat okay. and I'll start with the Missouri citizen so we have it it's legal in all of our surrounding states yep. Okay, so people are driving across the borders and across those rivers on either side KC and St. Louis and they're placing bats legally in these other states so um, it's happening yep. Okay, not unlike the marijuana um, issue where it's happening illegally and unregulated and no tax revenue why don't we legalize it control it regulate it and, and collect the tax revenues yep. and decriminalize similar to this sports betting is it's happening and when people do it in Missouri you know who knows who they're d- placing bets with online right. i mean it's like you know russian offshore accounts and god knows what right, right. It's unregulated and unenforced because of the lack of stigma anymore. It's everywhere else. Yeah. Nobody's going to like go crack down hard on somebody's online bookie in Missouri. Right. It's not happening. So that tax revenue is literally just we're foregoing it in Missouri. So all these renegade offshore whoever can collect it. Yeah. And so um, from that standpoint, I think it's silly that we're not taxing, regulating it yeah. and and legalizing it. Uh, from a Cardinal standpoint, um, and we've been very active in pulling together all the pro sports team in Missouri to be on the same page to lobby for this, uh, it benefits us in a couple ways. The first way is that we think it opens up uh, our sports fan interest to a younger audience, a younger demo. It creates a different kind of engagement and pretty intense engagement. When you put 100 bucks on a game, you're dialed in, right? Yeah, right? Or if you're on some sort of a trifecta or whatever, yeah. and you've got this player and that player, yeah. you're watching that game, and then you're flipping over to the other game to see how your guy's yeah. doing. Like, you know, uh, and there's an element of that that is fun. I mean, yeah. let's face it, uh, it can be problematic. Yeah. Obviously people can get addicted to this. And that's why in our lobbying, we wanna make sure that there's a robust fund for problem gaming, yeah. uh, obviously. Um, but we think that it creates this engagement from the younger demo, uh, particularly in light of the, our previous conversation about um, you know, how viewing habits have changed and how it might be hard for the younger generation to sit down and watch a three-hour game online or whatever. This creates that, that excitement and that factor that I think it make, creates interest in our sport. The second thing that I think is in it for the Cardinals, and I've been pretty transparent about this um, because I don't think we should be you know, hiding our interests because we're out there lobbying. Yeah. And it's a taxpayer decision. So is that it opens up a huge sponsorship category for category for us. So when um, when it's legal, uh, the sports betting operators are going to want to reach our fans, right? And how are they going to reach our fans? Well, they're going to come to us and say, hey, I need a sign on the outfield wall. I'd like to be on your radio broadcasts. I'd like to be the official online um partner of the Cardinals. Okay. Well, that opens up a real nice revenue stream for us that our comp- competition is already getting. Right. Okay. So, you know, for those who are on the side of spend more guys, we got to keep up with the Joneses. Well, there's a, r- a way for that to happen. Yeah. Not in a well, I mean, look
0: what our friends up north, the, the white oh, and blue team, I don't even want to mention, Absolutely. Right? I mean, they got that thing in the outfield that from yeah. what I understand is they're going to share revenue, right? On the gambling and the food right, and the right. booze the, and all that. They're,
1: their gaming revenue and i'm sort of guessing because i don't see their books but it's probably in the 15 to 25 range that's a starting that's that's an ace pitcher it's a star player okay so um let's not hide from that reality that that's part of what it is and as you know we um pretty much the money's on the field and to the extent we can drive additional revenue you know it's going to go into payroll yeah And so that's what uh, is also in it for the Cardinals. Um, And then um, I would say sort of the final thing is just, um, you know, having something perhaps in Ballpark Village that would be um, an interesting and exciting new aspect of it, you know, perhaps like a sports book type of thing, which I think, could could inject some some energy down there in those slower times
0: yeah what are we gonna do to fix downtown
1: well uh, you know we're doing our best um you know we're continuing to invest in ballpark village Uh, we had a really good retail leasing year this year with some new big tenants that came in like katie's pizza and condado's tacos yeah it's exciting um we we'd like to do another phase uh the residential tower has done very well I think we could do another one. The challenge there is that if we just wanted to build the exact same building today, yeah. it would cost about 30% more and interest rates would be instead of 4%, they're gonna be six plus, mm-hmm. right? Or more on the, on something like that. So you have two things working against you to try to replicate what we've done there, which has been very, which has been great having said that you know there might be a couple tweaks that we could work with the city and the state on with our infrastructure subsidy package that that basically helped prep the sites for these things on ballpark village that would um get us to the finish line on on an additional uh, phase phase three so uh, you know i'm remaining cautiously optimistic that we can keep pushing and you know we're not going anywhere We're you can't pick up a stadium in a ballpark village and move it to clayton (laughs) like some people do with their businesses um and then i i remain very active on a bunch of different things downtown like with the police foundation and with um our community improvement district and with the other business leaders who are you know the stiefels and the blues and the soccer and Mm -hmm. the arch and the um the law firms and the investment firms who are downtown to um, make sure that uh, we do everything we can to supplement what the city can do and what the police can do yep. to make things safer. So yep. we have a lot of things going on that. I've been very active to try to make sure that people feel safe coming down there. And I think we are in a better place than we were a couple of years ago, yep. no question about it. Yeah. Uh, we just need for the traffic and the activity um, to return, and hopefully, people hearing this will realize that that it really is comes down to them. I mean, yeah. what makes what's going to make downtown work is is volume and traffic and interest in events and people coming down and come down to Katie's Pizza yeah. and have your date night down there instead of out and wherever. Yep, because it makes a difference. Yeah, and um, I really try to be on my soapbox about that because. Um, you, you've got to have a little bit of sense of pride, I think, to make that commitment if your patterns are just to be, you know, stay in your own little zone. I mean, we're here yeah. Metro East, which right. is great. You right. could probably, you know, live your whole life right around right. a five-mile yeah. radius yeah. right here. And same thing out west. Well, let's all uh, commit to adding downtown as something that's
0: important to the region. That's right. Well, we did our Christmas party at uh, the Hall of Fame Museum this year, which oh, cool. was yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. It was so cool. It was awesome. a great spot. So for those listening, you need a place. He's not paying me to say that, but uh, go there. <laughs> Appreciate last it. question for you. I think it's a cool story. Is It may be. Hopefully, it's my last question. Uh, Eddie Goodell, wearing mm-hmm. your dad's uniform. Tell that yeah. story.
1: Yeah, it's so funny because growing up, we didn't really realize that this story would sort of come back around in terms of what you know we ended up doing with baseball. Um, but when my dad was a kid his dad was the general manager of the st louis browns he'd worked his way up he came into the league as an assistant to, to branch ricky he would just run errands for him and mm-hmm. he was um and and mr ricky really liked what he did and so he kind of mentored him in his baseball career and he got all the way to become general manager of the browns and uh of course bill veck was the owner at that time and had this crazy idea well if if we get somebody short enough, you know, the pitcher the strike zone definition would make it impossible. We'll get four balls all day long and get an <laughs> automatic block. And so on the second day of a doubleheader, or the second game of a doubleheader, Vec brings out Goodell and he hides him in this giant birthday cake and he pops out of this thing. And I mean the guy was a really he was he had all these zany ideas and he went through with them all. That's what was crazy about <laughs> Deliver. it. And, uh, of course, the Browns were always losing, and he had a little more latitude with that than if, say, he was with the Yankees or something. But so um, he had everything figured out. He had a contract for him because he knew the umps would check on that. He had, um, you know, had prepped the manager, and he had the lineup card line made out with the one-eighth. You know, so he had the few people that knew about this. But kind of at the last minute, he was like, oh, God, I forgot about the uniform because we're not going to have one that fits. And then he realized that my grandfather used to order extra uniforms for my dad and his two sisters, little mini versions because in those days you didn't have a team store that had authentic uniforms right. with different sizes. Right. It, it was what the players wore, and that was it. And then you know you might have a t-shirt or a hat in the in the store, but that was about it. So he they said, "Hey, Billy, my dad, we need your your uniform. He used to go out and play pepper with the the players back then and <laughs> shag balls during uh, batting practice. He's like okay so they grabbed it off him they p- took off his one his number 6 which was his favorite number um uh, because Stan was his favorite yeah. player I think although that was pre Stan no so he evolved into that being his favorite number and put on one-eighth. and then that was the uniform that Eddie used in his one at bat walked on four pitches and kind of the rest is history that great picture of of him um you know taking the ball and he had this little mini bat and my dad remembers it was like kind of a weird situation where there was like commotion or whatever and um there was that little toy bat he think he he remembers seeing that because it was so unusual to yeah. see a player batting with such a mini bat and then um he got the the uniform back really didn't think anything of it my aunt Didi, who was um um smaller in stature used to wear it for Halloween, she would go out to Halloween parties in this, <laughs> in this uniform and tell the story, and people got a kick out of that. And then, kind of, um, as memorabilia started becoming a big thing, and finally, somebody said, "Hey, where's that uniform?" And we said, "Well, we still have it. It's in my parents' attic in mothballs." And we were like, "Oh, maybe this thing is worth a lot." And we ended up loaning it. He ended up loaning it to the Hall of Fame. Where they used it for the Vec exhibit yeah. when he got into the Hall of Fame, they had that for many years, and now it's in the
0: Cardinals Hall yeah. of Fame. Yeah, I saw it the other night. It's yeah. a great story. So awesome. Uh, I said it was my last question, but are we, are we? Can we talk 2024 at all? Sure. Yeah. What? Uh, any thoughts? Any Any words you have for our listeners right now? I'm not going to name anybody's names. Anybody. <laughs> we we're, we're on our wish list, but uh, what can you tell us about the St. Louis Cardinals for 2024?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of optimism because we have. A really good everyday club anchored by, you know, uh, obviously Goldie and Arenado at the corners. Yeah. Um we have some up and coming players like Jordan Walker yeah. and Edmund and Mason Wynn could really be dynamited short yeah. and um and so I think it's a nice mix if if the improvement is there on these younger players that you would expect because they're on their way up. And if Goldie and Arenado can uh, keep doing what they're doing, our everyday clubs should be fine. Yep. should be actually really good at playoff caliber. Yep. On the pitching front, um, you know, when you look at last year, um, there were a ton of, like, for example, in the first half, a ton of blown saves. And the bullpen, even though on paper, and it, it, you know, pretty good, it was fine. I mean, yep. we ended up getting a lot of value for some of these guys that we traded the deadline. But they weren't having great years and there were these moments in time you are like really Did that just really happened right i don't think that's going to repeat i think we'll do better i think we'll save games better next year um we have three guys now that we acquired this offseason in lance lynn our old friend yep um kyle gibson um and, and of course our our headliner sunny yep. gray um all these guys are are going to give you a lot of innings. And partly what stressed out the bullpen and caused some of these collapses last year was these our starters weren't going very deep. Yeah. So even if you get, let's say, somebody to go seven and give up four runs, that's really giving you a chance to win in today's yeah. game. And um, it shortens the game. It's going to give you a chance. Um, and I think we're we're much better off than where we were, given that the pitching broke down on the starting side and we ended up just having to piece together games with with bullpen awesome
0: well thanks for sharing that message and bill thanks for coming on the circuit of success man i know you've got a lot a lot of bigger things to worry about than coming over here to O'Fallon, illinois and joining me so we appreciate it i enjoyed 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 the conversation yeah same really enjoyed it and uh got a good crew here seems like uh you you guys any any questions anybody has over here i
1: actually
0: have one thing i want to ask hank gomrick coming in strong here with the question Just the Marlins. Just the Marlins. Marlins Cardinals. How is perfect game being like factored in with all that? Because that's like a big upcoming thing.
1: Perfect game. They clearly used your facility there. Because I've played there with perfect game, and
0: like, how is that? Who pays who, or how does that go on? And like, from an economic standpoint. Yeah, you're talking about real like quick, Bill. Just so you program. know that we're we're plugging Hank here for the Cardinals to take a look at him. He's a senior in right, high good, school here. Good. You know, committed to play at Slu right now. I like it. Uh, I like so, it. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Uh, so that facility down there, uh, in Jupiter, um, hosts a lot of different tournaments and events. And that's an example of one that when we're not down there in spring training or the Marlins, um, we do have a Florida state league team that plays during the summer. But after that, you've got a lot of spots and time zones where you can do these, these tournaments and stuff. So it's, it's one of those facilities that has more actual baseball games on it than almost any other field in the country because of all these different things we do down there. So, um, Yeah, I would think it would be a great spot for that. Jupiter's a cool area. Our fans know that from spring training. They enjoy being down in that area, that part of Florida. And so I I would see that continuing. And uh, who knows, maybe you'll end up back down there uh, as part of the
0: roster. That's awesome. Anything else, boys? We good? I got a question. All right. I got one. Uh, How close are robotic umpires? Oh, Oh, how close are robotic umpires was the question. Yeah, I would say that... um,
1: we're sort of like at the one yard line to use a football analogy but it's like the the, the hardest yard is that last one one yard because hmm. the technology is pretty much there but um, and, and it's being used in the minor leagues and what they're trying to figure out now is like what's the best system in which to use it because like I don't think anyone wants to just replace the umpires and have it be a robo-umpire Um, and you have for example the issues that need resolution the strike zone itself when you look at a plot diagram of all the pitches that get pitched in a season and you actually look at how the umpire calls balls and strikes the strike zone in theory is a box with really sharp corners but they actually call it slightly rounded so it's almost like an oval if you will and when you think about it like a ball, when you're watching it on the Fox track or whatever, if it just nips that top left corner, even if it's a strike, it's not really, like, even the pitcher that gets called, or the, the batter that gets called out on, that, he's fine with that. Like, that wasn't a strike. Um, and And same with pitchers. So, we sort of have this unwritten oval strike zone, but yet the definition of it is a true rectangle. So how are we going to resolve that? Are we going to actually Hmm. change the definition and create, you know, like this geometric rounding in the theoretical strike zone? So that's one problem that kind of needs to be thought through. The second is, do we want it to be a challenge system instead of it just being every call? Um, And I think the answer is yes. What they're finding is that that kind of makes it more fun. It's quicker. It doesn't create as many delays. And so, you know, maybe... You have the ability to challenge one pitch at, during an at-bat as a batter. Same thing as a pitcher. And you can say, you know, I'm raising my hand. That should be challenged. They quickly go to the, the the tape, and then the ump gets the answer, and boom, you move on with the decision. So I think that that's probably also needs settling on how you do the challenge system. And then finally, I think you need to make sure that there are certain – there's a training element to the umpires and and so that they can if it, let's say the system goes down and it's the World Series mm. the ump still needs to be able to call right so that's why I think a challenge system keeps the ump fresh to be able to call the game and understand it here's another example what if the pitch is so bad that it bounces in front of the plate and bounces up into the strike zone well the system's gonna call that a strike but it was a oh, ball right so there are all these little quirks that I think Need to be worked out. Different ballparks require slightly different technology to make it all work. Um, And I think you will see it. But 2025 is probably, I would give it a 50-50 on that one. 2026, I'll give it 730, 70-30. Long term, I'll give it 99.9.
0: It's going to happen at some point. It's a great answer. Bill, thanks so much, my friend. All Maybe we'll see you on the golf course.